Hi, it's Mark Wasserman. Welcome to Ska Boom Stories, which is the audio companion to my book, Ska Boom, an American Ska and Reggae Oral History, now available from DeWolf Publishing. In 400-plus pages across 19 chapters, I've attempted to knit together the origin stories of 18 key American ska and reggae bands and one important coast-to-coast tour in 1993 to help tell the important and often overlooked story of American ska and reggae from the mid-70s through the early 90s. The goal of the podcast is to share a behind-the-scenes look at what readers can expect from the book, plus tell more important stories that didn't make it into the book. There are a number of bands I wanted to include in the book, and over the next few episodes of the podcast, I plan to devote some time to these bands who deserve your attention. One of those bands is The Extremes from Phoenix, Arizona, whose cover version of Third World's Rhythm of Life is the intro music for this episode. I went to Phoenix, Arizona once in the 90s. What I remember was the searing desert heat and suburban sprawl. The only other thing I knew about Arizona at the time was its ongoing reluctance to ratify Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday as a U.S. national holiday throughout the 80s and 90s. That told me all I needed to know. It seemed like a very conservative place. Truth be told, Arizona was the last place I expected to discover the extremes a very talented and popular multiracial ska band who played two-tone era ska and were central to an early 80s Arizona-based ska scene. Sadly, the band's moniker said more about them than they might have intended. The Extremes remain the band I wish I had seen live, and their story is one that continues to draw me in, perhaps because they came so close to success before self-destructing. 
perhaps because they brought an energy and intensity that was both mesmerizing and a little bit frightening to those who saw and heard them. Perhaps because for one moment, they may have been the best hope for what an American two-tone era ska band could have been. The story of the extremes is a difficult one to tell. The band never achieved the kind of broad popularity or success that they deserved. Sadly, they were plagued by infighting, drug addiction, a nasty love triangle involving the singer and the band's two guitarists, and a penchant for self-destruction that seemed to keep them from ever reaching their full musical potential. Nevertheless, they made a mark for themselves in Arizona and L.A., and are best remembered for their raw and edgy take on a new wave-styled ska that was very reminiscent of the selector. Drummer Bob Steinhilber co-founded The Extremes with guitarist Peter Tessenson, bassist Steve Creole, and lead singer Lorraine Springer, a young woman from Trinidad. Springer had met Creole in California and traveled with him to Arizona to start the band. The addition of local guitarist Kurt Mayberry was the final ingredient that made things take off for the band, but also complicated its future. Much like Pauline Black and Neil Davies in The Selector, it was the vocal interplay and energy between Springer and Mayberry that set the extremes apart and captured the attention of L.A.-based producers and music industry veterans who, for a short time, were captivated by the band's live energy and their edginess. But their live energy had a very dark side. According to a 1995 interview that Steinhilber did with the Phoenix New Times, we had Kurt come along, and from the get-go, it was just great. I've played in a lot of bands, and for some reason, this just clicked right away. I didn't know him to be a heavy drug user. All of that was hidden from me. I guess he had a side of him that he was loath to reveal. He was so talented, he had style, he played the guitar like nobody ever did. According to Greg Noyes, a Phoenix-based musician I contacted, who played in another local Phoenix Scott and reggae band, the extremes were among the best bands he ever saw. I saw the extremes in their original incarnation at a club in nearby Scottsdale called the Raspberry Rhinoceros. These folks had a somewhat sinister reputation for drug use and onstage quarreling. What I experienced that night was some really raw, edgy rock and ska and reggae. Lorraine had a great voice and incredible stage presence. I still remember her flashing eyes. Kurt Mayberry could just shred. He had a very unique and distinctive style of guitar playing. Peter seemed to be a most solid and pro player. If I remember correctly, Steve, the bass player, was a bit patched up from a previous run-in with Lorraine. Bob, the drummer, was playing a minimal and mismatched set, a bit on the nod, but never missing the beat. He was up there with snot running out of his nose, but just chugging through. Springer was the band's secret weapon and would have likely given Pauline Black of the Selector a run for her money in terms of stage presence and singing. Check out this rare demo of the aggressive ska punk of Be A Boy, where Springer imagines what it would be like to change her gender to enjoy the benefits of being a man. I don't want to wear a tampon. I don't want to wear a bra. I'm getting tired of these restrictions. I'm getting tired. It's an amazing, visceral performance that has been hidden away for 40 years and can now finally be heard.
Howard Parr of the On Club booked the band after hearing a demo tape, and the show was a sellout, with rock luminaries like Tom Waits, Ricky Lee Jones, and members of the Jackson family turning out to catch their set at the On Club. When I interviewed the band's bassist Peter Tessenson a few years ago, he recounted his memories of that first show in L.A. The first show at the On Club in the Silver Lake section of L.A. was great and sold out. We had a great booking agent promoter named John Sutton Smith get us a picture of us in the L.A. Weekly. Roger Steffens of radio station KCRW played our demo tape on the air and plugged the show. He even showed up for our show that night and introduced us on stage as he did for numerous shows. That very same night, Paul Wexler, son of the late Jerry Wexler, was there to catch both shows. Paul had recently produced the Go-Go's We Got the Beat album and was considering us for a recording deal of some sort with Warner Brothers Records. Though we never signed, we did record a demo of four to five songs that Paul produced. One of those songs was our version of Sugar Minot's Hard Time Pressure with Lorraine on lead vocal. Luckily, I have a copy of the Wexler demo. Give a listen to this rare version of the band's take on Hard Time Pressure, which gives you a real sense of the extreme sound and also becomes a story of the band's trials and tribulations during their time in Los Angeles, with lines like, you gotta keep on stepping in Hollywood. The 
Yet for all the band's immediate success, the extremes were a huge draw in Phoenix and LA, its story is racked by misfortune. From the Phoenix New Times story, I hesitate to use the word curse, but it's like that, offers Steinhilber. It just broke my heart over and over again. Of the group's first trip to perform in LA, Steinhilber said, We had just finished the gig, and Kurt and Steve were fighting over Lorraine. It was just a jealousy thing, but they went behind the car, and when they got back in, Steve's head was kind of crushed in. It was pretty bad. The next day, I was at someone's house, and our manager called up and said, Hey, Bob, Steve's in the hospital. He's not going to live. Kurt's in jail, and he's charged with second-degree murder, and I quit as your manager. Click. The gods were smiling this time. Charges were dropped. It turned out that Steve lived, and he started playing with us again, Steinhilber says. Here was this guy in a wheelchair on stage with his head all bandaged up, looking like he just got out of Auschwitz or something. But it was just one thing after another. As soon as things started going good, we'd be looking at a record contract or whatever, something terrible would happen. But the problem didn't always involve Mayberry. From an early 80s Phoenix New Times column describing a Tucson performance by the band, all went swell until the second set when guitarist Steve Creole started playing like he never held a guitar in his hands before. Not that that stopped him, but it did stop the rest of the band, who were so embarrassed they unplugged their instruments, left the stage, and watched as he continued to bang away for another half hour. Creole later chalked up his erratic behavior to an old cow milking injury. Sources close to the band provide a more pharmaceutical explanation. Later that night, at a post-show party in a record store, Creole and Springer got into a bloody melee with a broken perfume bottle in a locked restroom. Steinhilber recalls, We broke down the door and there was blood all over the place. It was a big mess. It was just stuff like that. We recorded an album in 85. I jumped ship then. The departure of Springer and drummer Steinhilber was not the end of the extremes. They continued to soldier on playing a more rock and reggae mix of songs and bringing Mayberry's wife into the band. Mayberry and Tessenson continued to play together and released a self-titled CD on their own skin tone label, but as soon as the ball once again started rolling, tragedy on an almost unbelievable level reared its head. I hadn't seen the guys in about 10 years, and then Kurt and Peter approached me with a new CD they wanted me to do the artwork for, says Steinhilber. Then, when Kurt and Peter were flying up to San Francisco to this independent record company convention looking for a distribution deal, Peter's wife OD'd on heroin on the plane, in the restroom with her little boy on her lap. Kathy Tessenson was declared dead of acute heroin toxicity by a Nevada medical examiner. Then about two or three weeks ago, Peter called me and said that Kurt had flipped out and attacked him and he had to have him put in jail. I called Kurt and he didn't want to talk about it. I'd never seen any of this crazy behavior from him. He'd always been a perfect gentleman. Sadly, Mayberry's demons caught up with him in June of 1995. According to a story that appeared in the Arizona Republic's obituary section, Man Collapses in Struggle with Police, the man was Mayberry, who had stopped breathing at a local hospital after an apparent cocaine overdose. The article said that Mayberry had been walking down the street naked. He followed two boys home and broke into their apartment. Inside, he found a teenager and two other children. He told them to call the police. The police arrived to find Mayberry hiding in a bedroom, acting incoherent, delusional, and paranoid, according to an officer at the scene. Mayberry attacked the officers who, the news story notes, did not use excessive force. During the struggle, Mayberry collapsed and was taken to the hospital where he died. 
I'll leave you with one more track from the Wexler demo. Check out this weird, indescribable, but captivating Fairies in the Mountain, which imagines no sex, no race, no color, no creed. Fairies in the Mountain, two by two. Fairies in the Mountain. Fairies in the Mountain, two by two. Fairies in the Mountain. Fairies in the Mountain, two by two. Fairies in the Mountain. Fairies in the mountain, two by two. Fairies in the mountain.
mountain, two by two. Fairies in the mountain. Fairies in the mountain, two by two. Fairies in the mountain, Fairies in the mountain, two by two. 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 I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Skaboom Stories. The book is available from DeWolf Publishing at DeWolf.com. That's D-I-W-U-L-F.com. Thanks for listening and take care.